Dude, fresh off the plane, Konnichiwa. Your favorite podcast of Cocktails and Questions is back with uh, James Lanning and Brandon Gredler. Missing this time is Ben Gaddis. That's all right. He'll be back next time, man. This was a great one because this hit home on so many levels. And when we get asked to predict the future, which is one of my favorite questions. And on top of that, one of my favorite things is when somebody answers it for me, which is uh, Michael Mullaney had a great article that we'll post in the show notes about eight lessons from 20 years of hype cycles. Hit it dead center. Inspiration was last night at 10.40 p.m. We're back in the studio today, less than 24 hours later. James and I have a bit of a hot take on it. We hope you enjoy it. We had a blast, man. As always, rate and review. Tell your friends. Subscribe favorably. We love you guys, man. We would love if you could do that for us. But yeah, phones down. Tune in. Drink up. This is Cocktails and Questions. Yes, we are. And we're back. Hello. <laughs> Mr. James. Mr. Gredler. It's been a while since we've been in the same room together, My man. goodness, it has been a crazy Where couple you been? of weeks. I've been traveling. You know what I saw last week? No. I got to see Three Mile <laughs> Island. I got to be honest, it blew my mind. I I don't know. I For some reason, I just assumed it was in New Jersey. I don't know why. It, it, where, and where is it? It's right outside of Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. Well, it's well, parked it's right next to the airport. We, I believe you shared that on one of the Slack channels and somebody said, that's the reason why, why Pennsylvania, Central never, Pennsylvania never grew. Central Pennsylvania never grew. Is that really is the reason? Is that it? Um, for younger folks, uh, what is Three Mile Island? Just go to Wikipedia and look it up. All right. No, enough, we, Three Mile Island was... The bright hope for the future in the nineteen, I believe, nineteen seventies. We had just gotten done with the Iranian arm uh, oil embargo. Yep. Our, our, my parents, they sat in long lines in their uh, Chevy station wagons and in their huge Caprice Classics. They got two miles to the gallon with rumble seats. Yes, with rumble seats and unseat belted children jumping around all over the place, going eighty miles an hour. And the United States was humiliated, uh, brought to its knees uh, by its oil dependency, and so we swore never again in nuclear was the future until such time as Three Mile Island, the nuclear reactor outside of Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, had a partial meltdown and um, scared everybody off for life. Awesome. And never is also shall featured in X-Men Origins Wolverine, yep. if, uh, if I recall correctly. Uh, okay, that's fair. So you were there. Um, but this is episode 18. I have a real question for you. Yes, sir. Did you listen to episode 17? I did. You did? You I weren't did. even on it. I know. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> I have this reputation around the office for only listening to the things I'm on, which I got to be honest, isn't completely wrong. That's not inaccurate. That's right. I got That's a lot right. going on. So, but episode 18 is just with you. Well, just us. Oh, that's us. You yeah. Know. And well, Austin's here. Mr. Ben's gone. Austin's here. Um, and today we're talking about the future. The future. <laughs> In the year 3000 or whatever. Futurama? Do you ever watch Futurama? No. I'm a I was like, like great. Like, welcome to the world of tomorrow. <laughs> well, in order to predict the world of tomorrow. Um, so this thing, this thing is really interesting to you and I because we get asked to do it a lot, right? Is one is to predict the to, to predict the future. Yeah, so, what do you think? Yeah. Like, don't you love that? What, what do you think? What's going to happen? And what I think is really interesting is as... Um, uh, I'm not titling us this, but we get cast as this, as um, futurists and technologists and things like this. It's a lot like um, uh, almost academics and things like that, where you are judged on your ability to be correct. 
mm-hmm. right? And so a lot of people are, they'll only go so far out in the future because they, they want to be employed or they want to be a talking head or they have their own agendas as to not predict the future. And you and I stand up all the time and we say, you asked us to predict the future. a boy. Nitrogenated can right beer. there. Um, beer and the first opened. thing that we say is, uh, it's really hard to do it. We're going to try. Nigh impossible. <laughs> and uh, what's more important is to uh, build a system to help you predict the future, right? And so we have a thing in, in, that we use a lot, which is uh, it's an innovation heat map, if you will, right? And it's not a single data source. It's multiple data sources stacked on top of each other that will essentially give you a heat map of pending technologies filtered by category, industry, expectation, all this stuff, right? And it allows you to at least point your cannon somewhere. And a, and a good component of that um, is some public... Uh, published data around the Gartner hype cycle. Gartner hype cycle is a 25 year old industry standard on how to predict future technologies and when they will come to life. And I remember when we were first building this thing, I, I turned to you, James, and I said, has anybody ever gone back in time and proved the track record of this thing? And right. you kind of laugh. You did what you're doing now. <laughs> I, you're like, that. I was like, what? Oh, why would no. anybody do that? We get paid to publish this, not That's to right. be right. Exactly. Um, but somebody did it, right? And so last night, mm-hmm. in full transparency, at 10.40 p.m., I came across, um, by way of CB Insights, I came across about a two-year-old or about a year and some change old article from December 7th of 2016 by Michael Mullaney titled Eight Lessons from 20 Years of Hype Cycles. What a great article. When you sent that, I was like, ah, it blew my mind for two reasons. One, yeah. it's something we, we've been talking about doing for a long time. Can we get through all of this data and make sense of it? Because uh, there's a lot of it. Yep. And two, I mean, the guy's just a badass. Did you read this thing? I did. Like, I did. It was impressive. Can you can you give, before we get into his eight things, because th- that's where I want to go, is is what did he say? Do we agree, disagree? And like, mm-hmm. sort of what are our own anecdotes and how should people consume this um, in 2018 and going forward? And what, sh- what are the takeaways? But can you shed a little bit of light on exactly what Gartner Hype Cycle is? Sure. And, and how sure. they do it, their method and all that stuff. So Gartner Research um, has been around for a long time, several decades, and they created this tool, I want to say about 25 years ago, and it essentially um, tracks a technology through a series of phases, which for anybody who is involved in emerging technology or innovation or even just technology generally, they start to make a lot of sense when you look at it. And it all uh, sort of uh, pinches on this idea of technology hype. And so we think about hype, like the whole like, oh, it's going to save the world and it's going to be the end all be all of everything. And it's going to be the this of that. And I can't wait and bright new tomorrow. And inevitably it goes through a handful of phases, one of which is they call the technology trigger. And that's uh, when the technology comes on the scene. And a great example of that uh, in the last few years has been wearables, right? Like, oh, what do you mean? Watches that are computers? This is amazing, right? So all of a sudden it's in the public discourse and it starts to gain steam, right? Any technology uh, that has any sort of potential value starts to get marveled at. Um, and I wish I could remember which futurist or which uh, sci-fi author said it, but any sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic, right? You remember that quote? Yep. And that's kind of behind that. Everybody starts, wow, it's fantastic. It's amazing. It's do everything. And then after the bubble sort of bursts on what it can do, and wearables is a great example of that. They're like, oh, Apple Watch is just an Apple. It's a watch with a small iPhone on it. Mm -hmm. It doesn't do much except for bug me with notifications. It goes into what's called the trough of disillusionment, where everybody's like, ah, that sucks. It's never going to be anything. So... The lessons have sort of been learned uh, in terms of uh, the posers and the fakers and everybody who wanted to play with it. 
Um, I'd actually say VR is a good example of what's kind of going on with that right now. So then it goes into the slope of enlightenment where people are starting to figure out actual use cases for it, yep. how to debug the crappier parts of the technology into the plateau of productivity where it's ultimately mainstreamed, right? Um, and so anyhow, Gartner's been tracking literally hundreds of different technology types for decades uh, according to this methodology. And it's really been sort of their centerpiece, right? It's it's what they're best known for. And, and not to get too deep into it, because it, it is, like you said, it's rather complex about how they get these scores. Can you just broad stroke sort of the things that they look at in order to plot this diagram? And, and for you guys who haven't seen it, um, we'll post a link to, to an image so you can get familiar mm-hmm. with this. I mean, if you're listening to this podcast, I imagine that you are somewhat familiar with this. And if you're not, there's still time. Just go to Google it's Images okay. and type in Gartner, G-A-R-T-N-E-R, hype cycle. And, and it scores it according to where it sits on on this cycle, this linear uh, progression. Yep. Um, but it also uh, ascribes um, a f- sort of future maturity state, like to how many years till it's productive. Right. So if you're talking about, um, for example, chatbots, right there, they may predict that that's actually in the trough of disillusionment. Now I have to go back and look. Um, and that has three to five years until it's fully mature and yep. operational. So it's a combination of where it is in the cycle and years to productivity. Before, before we, um, get into sort of the eight lessons, the thing about chatbots and conversational commerce, and you've heard me talk about this before is the, uh, the curse of pop culture. I, I think it's a mega one that people misunderstand, mm-hmm. right? So because it's because it is so on Star Trek, then it will be so today. And people don't fundamentally understand how complex these things are. And then um, the other thing <laughs> that's really funny when you think about intelligence and, and assistance, you're, you're really talking about just that intelligence, right? And when these things are born into the world, um, I forget what book we were talking about, but they did a great job of outlining. Uh, oh, it was Life 3.0. Great book. It I is. started his next, his other book, Our Mathematical Universe, which nice. is also great. And, and, and he did a great job of, of correlating the intelligence to a child and explaining why there's so much throughput that you can give an infant, right? There's reasons, there's biological reasons in, in the corollaries to chatbots. And I think one of the things is, is as somebody who um, designs and builds and deploys these things, which he sees, uh, people talk to this thing like you would not talk to children, right? You yell at Alexa, you yell at the chatbot on a website, you do these things, but the reality is, is just, it's a point in time and it will build and grow and learn and, and all that stuff. But one of the, one of the things that uh, Michael Mullaney calls out in his article about one of the reasons why is that hindsight bias and survivor bias, which is essentially saying that we have a way of building up and propping up things when we are right. And Wait, say, ain't that the truth? <laughs> Who does that in this room? Who does that? I'm looking at you, Austin. You won't shut up about your past victories. It drives me nuts. Um, and then, and then the survivor bias, right? And, and those are two main things going into it. And, and what he did um, is he he answered the question that you and I posed to each other, which is: Has anybody gone back in time and actually figured out if these people are right or wrong? Mm-hmm. Um, so he's got eight of them. We can get we can get through them. Um, the first one. Uh, Lesson one is we are terrible at making predictions, especially about, about the, the future, <laughs> which should be exactly pinned where it is at lesson number one. You know what I thought of when I saw this one? Have you ever seen uh, that book by Philip Tetlock, Super Forecasting? I can't read. No. Oh, jeez. You know, like, I mean, honestly, it's a thick tome, um, but it's actually worth at least thumbing through. It didn't sound um, like a coloring book. No, it's, it's I, not. I understood that. Um, but he's a really smart guy. And basically, he 
he's one of the world's foremost experts on forecasting and the mathematics behind forecasting. And he's the first one to tell you anything past a five-year forecast is ridiculous. Like the odds of it actually becoming true, I mean, it's throwing a dart, right? Yep. Like, and if you were right, you're lucky. Um, he actually talks about focusing your time more on short-term forecasting, if only because it adheres to a very simple principle. Um, I'm actually extrapolating, so he didn't say this part, but I know it's what he meant. So you think about trajectory, right? Mm -hmm. And over a linear timeline, um, if you're one degree off, well, uh, over 50 feet, if you're one degree off, the uh, reality is your distance from potential endpoint uh, five feet from now, not that big a deal. But over 50 feet, that one degree adds right. up a lot. So if you're one degree wrong and you're planning where you want to go, well, over that period of long time, that long period of time, all of a sudden you find yourself in a whole different area. And that's really what predicting the future is about. Like there are any number of key variables. Um, I was actually involved years ago uh, with what was called InfiniBand, which was infinite bandwidth, and it solved that last 50 feet. Could you hear that eye roll? The, <laughs> I know. Naming? It was fiber channel, oh. gigabit ethernet, and InfiniBand. This was a <laughs> long time ago. And guess what? It was actually a superior technology to its two alternatives, but Intel just decided it was going to be easier to get behind gigabit ethernet. So they did it, and it killed InfiniBand, even though... Everybody's thinking InfiniBand was the future. That's a key dependency, right? Yep. It is, it is, is business going to get behind it? So yeah, it is fucking hard to it, predict the future. And, and I think one of the one of the reasons why it's hard is because you can you can data whip the shit out of all of this stuff, but what you can't do is uh, a, a large component of this is cultural, right? You can you can think, you know, imagine a world in which people do X, right? But if you go back far enough in time and you you asked even a futurist, you know, to imagine uh, the normalities of people staring at their phones when they're walking around. I'm currently reading Bored and Brilliant, which was oh, recommended that was a good one. by that. Ben Gaddis, if you guys haven't read it. I'm not reading it. I'm listening to it on one it's and a half the X. Same thing. Yeah, research holds that to be true, which makes me very happy as somebody who can't read. There's cultural norms, Yes, right? You, you can't understand what it's like to have the Kardashians in the mix. You can't understand what it's like when Snapchat hits... Sure. Right. You can, you're you're very just focused. So I think you can you can study logistics. You can study supply chains. You can study, you know, uh, device penetration. But what you can't understand really is the future behavior of humans mm -hmm. because it's too infinitely complex. Between too many variables. I mean, last episode we talked about autonomous vehicles. Go back a few years and tell somebody that in the very near future, sixteen year olds won't give a shit about their driver's license. They're going to tell you you're batshit crazy. Yep, doesn't make sense. Right? Um, all right, so that, that one we totally agree with. Lesson number two, an alarming number of technology trends are flashes in the pan. Isn't that true? Are we going to do agree or disagree on each one of these? Because I got to be honest, like number two, absolutely. Yeah. And I can't think of any greater example than 3D printing. I mean, I'll be honest, in the future, sure. I mean, sure. but the whole idea is like, they they just emailed a wrench to the space shuttle. You're like, no, like, <laughs> like it's really not that big a deal. And, and for the hype around, I'm going to use that word hype, the hype around 3D printing was so overwhelming for so many years. And I was just looking at it and I was like, is it just me? I mean, this seems like a lot of work, right? And and I get yep. it. Like, if you want to make a small individual prototype piece or a bespoke artifact or something like that, and that's all you want to do, great. But this isn't going to replace manufacturing. This isn't going to, you know, create new efficiencies. But but I think that goes in as uh, as a marketer as well. Um, I think some of it's to blame for the marketing, right? Like the the vision cast video is too big. 
right? Or it's too good, I guess I should say. Like, can I imagine a world in which I can um, download a uh, a blank from Levi's uh-huh. or Buck Mason and print my T-shirt? Yes, I can imagine that. But the equipment is so far away from doing that. Don't tell me that story. Tell me what it can do. Yeah. And that goes into like the trough of disillusionment, That's right? It. I've watched these videos about this really cool shit. And now I'm at South by Southwest. And all I'm printing is like this little rhinoceros. And it's, this I'm told to come back in four and a half hours for this thing that is not a line. Before like, they cleaned out the digital art room over there when it was just that, that warehouse for crap, what was in it? That stupid 3D printer that I'm not going to say his name, but he kept on whining until we got it. He's no longer here. And he was like, he printed like one fucking thing. And he was like, oh man, that was, that was great to get that out of my system. And like, it just sat there in the corner gathering dust. I mean, the, the flashes in the pan, totally, totally agree with the, just to, drill in on 3d printing i'm still big on it i just want to see it and i I think it goes back to the intelligence comment from earlier is that i have more patience for this stuff Mm because i do understand when these things come out it is in in its infancy because we're not walking around with the cell phone from lethal weapon when he pulls over the freeway and he calls back (laughs) i'm too old for this shit shit." right I, i can imagine uh number three this is this one was tops up there for me and my favorites um lots of technologies just die Mm-hmm. Period. Yes, <laughs> and sometimes it's all for the best. That's right. right. When you think about it, and I actually, I th- I thought I, I was trying to think back to um to to say his example. So he listed ultra wide brand RSS Enterprise, eight hundred two point one six WiMAX, which actually I thought was a little hair splitting because eight hundred two point one six is a complex standard and it's got a lot of winners in it. Yep. Um, but ultra wide band was great because in reality, I think the, 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 the pattern I noticed in this category were a lot of these were foundational or um, operational technologies, right? These were things that the industry just said, I'd like to, but I can't, you know, and then yep. it went away forever. It's easy to mistake this for things like the Newton, right? Which was the yep. precursor to the PDA, which ultimately ended up with the iPhone. So everybody's like, oh, Newton's dead, but Newton's not technology. Newton was just a representation of a type of technology. Yeah, it was an expression, right? Yeah, and, exactly. And, and oftentimes it's too early. And yeah. I talk a lot, uh, or have talked a lot about um, Google Circles, mm. right? Yes, or Google, Google Plus. Plus. Google Plus. I actually it's strange thought, to remember what that was. Yeah. Well, I actually, I've slept a lot between now and then. Um, I, I believe that they nailed it. I thought that they got the closest to real human interaction, uh, but I thought they were ahead of their time. Um, so sometimes it's the timing thing, which, which bleeds into lesson number four. But before I get to four, there's a local company, a good friend of mine um, was leading the leapfrog next generation of Wi-Fi protocol, mm-hmm. right? So while everyone was clamoring and sort of figuring out the VC markets were flooded with the next generation, he was working on the next, next generation. Mm-hmm. So they were already down the road. Um, and the reality is it just died because people couldn't understand why they would need it. They didn't even have the next version. Why would I need the next, next version? Because I don't understand what, <laughs> the problems you're fixing because I don't understand the problems that exist, yes. right? Which goes to the next one, which is the technical insight is often correct, but the implementation isn't there. Meaning, I believe you, but I don't, one, I don't know really what you're talking about. And two, I don't know how I'm going to roll it out. Yeah. And I actually, that, I kind of, I, I, I split that one in half because I, I, th- I think technically that's correct. And you know, if you read this article, this guy's brilliant. So I'm not one to impeach yeah. like his thinking. But in reality, we should get um, him on. Michael Mullaney, if you're around. Right, if you look listen. at it. So um, <laughs> I, I, I think there's two uh, responses to that. One of which is 
is this the classic, just easier way to say it is solution in search of a problem, yeah. right? Or is it also too, um, if the idea is like the technical insights, right, but the implementation isn't there, is that is that really that or is it more a matter of um, greater patience? Like, is it a reaffirmation of the hype cycle? Because I look at it, like Connected Home one is one that's struggling, right? Connected Home yeah. was for the longest time going to be like, oh my God, you'll wake up and your home will make breakfast for you and it'll do your taxes and it'll go to work for you. And actually, I gave this presentation, it was actually one where I think Ben finally started to get his head wrapped around my sense of humor because I did a connect like the um, original connected home and it was like things like the clapper yep. you know and remote control like and like a clicker for your garage door in reality we've had a lot of bells and whistles around our house so I actually was very pessimistic on it because it didn't really solve a problem right like it wasn't like people aren't like god you know I get so lonely Wish my home would talk to me some more, right? Uh, like that's not a problem. And so, yeah, I mean, I think he's technically right on that. I think it could probably get a little bit more into the human centeredness of it. Well, the the, impl- the implementation I I read um, as well as like change management. So we talk. That's true. So we talk a lot about like how am I how the fuck am I supposed to roll this thing out, right? Do you guys understand? Especially like in your and I's personal like journey together. We get, you guys are 100% correct. How the fuck am I supposed to pull this off? Mm-hmm. Right? Do you understand what you're talking about? And I think even when the technology sound and it's ready, the legacy, archaic system structures, processes that are in place that represent a high level of risk or disbursement will often lead to a no. And, and if you cannot sell your innovation, it's just an invention, like you say. That's what it is. If nobody will give you money for it, it doesn't really matter. It's just <laughs> a neat thing you did. Um, number five, which is pretty interesting to me, especially when he when he lays it out. So lesson number five, which is we've been working on a few core technical problems for decades. And I would add, and we will continue to work on that. That's right. Oh, my Lord. Though, I, I, I actually, um, I had a really funny moment. My wife is really super anti-Alexa. As actually, I hear that's a trend. I, I actually, a lot of male friends... Uh, they've talked about how like they've come home from business trips and found the echo unplugged and stuff like that, and they had to like reboot it and stuff. Yep. Um, and and I, I certainly don't mean to like ascribe gender roles. That's just the stories I'm hearing. But my wife, she's like, "Why do we need this?" I'm like, "Well, a, it was free. The company gave it to us. B, I think it's pretty cool. And I go and I tell it what I want in the grocery list, so I'm not writing it on that stupid pad all the time and forgetting it. Because if I do forget it, which is my nature." I can just summon it on my Alexa device or my Alexa app, and I've got my list right there, and I just say it to it. So she's like, oh, I think that's silly. So I come back from one of my business trips. I'm like, Alexa, put this on grocery list. And it pulls up the grocery list after it does it, and there's like three things on there that I didn't say. So she's been using it sort of in the backdrop. Speech recognition is one of the things on the list. That's actually really funny. Yeah, They're uh, getting better. They are getting better, and I think that goes back to my original comment of like the expectation, right? And, and the reason why, because a lot of times you don't actually understand how hard a problem is until the patient is open to use a, mm-hmm. a often used term. Um, and so you do things. Chatbots are one of my favorite ones, right? You've mm-hmm. been guilty of this. A lot of people guilty. They go, oh, it's easy. No. Like, is it? Right? It's like, not. You open that. Have you ever, up. so anybody who, to your point, I mean, interrupt, but um, there are free uh programs you can download like i think pull string still free mm-hmm. and you can go and download it and i dare you go and program your own bot and see if you can get past two layers of conversation without going fucking insane right like it is not an easy thing to do well and, th- and then you start to pull in 
like other data source, third-party data sources, right? Yep. You start tapping into APIs and you try to make this thing more and more robust yeah. and then you got to take into account Imagine contextual you're an airline and your bot is supposed to take Ooh. notification that a person can't make it or they want to change, right? right? It, 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 Apple's got a lot of flack for this and so has Alexa, right? With their, um, what has been cast as like a xenophobic or racist tone, like it understands Northern... It understands American English accents, essentially. And then, like, the Apple Watch, we've talked about it before, it had trouble picking up um, skin tones darker than Caucasian. Mm-hmm. Right? The reality is, like, in my mind, I, I don't think that people are that evil, but you have to start somewhere, right? Because these things are infinitely complex because you can't solve for all of the dialect nuances of, of regional things throughout the world. You ultimately can, but you've got you've to get there, man. Um, so, yeah, that, that was my, probably my favorite one on that as well. Which is there's a reason why we're still <laughs> working on it because human language is really hard, um, which goes into lesson six, which is some technologies keep receding into the future. And thank God for that. Right? <laughs> I might start a couple presentations just with that headline. <laughs> no shit. <laughs> just it's talk. a big breaker slide. Like, hey, let's get our head wrapped around this idea. <laughs> I love right? it. Right? And there's so that's really interesting. Anytime you look at the hype cycle, it's like. It, it, there's really no rhyme nor reason. Like they will have categorization. They'll be like, "This is the hype cycle of financial services," or "This is the hype cycle of retail," and and they do a good job. But there are so many different types of technology that they're tracking that it's like it's it's almost as if they just had a big bucket of like new shit and they threw it in like, "Hey, let's map this." Because you look at it, sometimes it'll be things like drones. Sometimes it'll be things like um, smart dust. Right, where you're like, uh, I had to actually go look that up. And yep. I was like, boy, that's going to keep going for a while. The one that I'm glad is going to continue to recede in the future is human augmentation, right? This whole idea of biohacking, which I went to that conference last year, yeah. and they were all wearing tinfoil hats in one form or another. They were all just out there. Good night. Um, well, you have, you have thoughts on quantum computing. That What's interesting about that is like as the next wave of AI comes in, mm-hmm. and this is, this, is, this is what makes humans so beautiful, right? Like we're not even there yet. And we're like, man, fuck that quantum computing. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. And at the same time, you have the contrarian point of view. A lot of people come out and say quantum computing is complete shit and will never happen. I know you have, you want to take two seconds and talk about quantum computing. Oh God, how do you even explain that? Right. Like I, I, <laughs> I technically, I kind of have my, I have my head wrapped around that less than I do blockchain, right? Like blockchain is one of those things you're like, yeah, I know what blockchain is. And they're like, what is it? And you explain it. And they're like, but how does it work? You're like, well, I just, I just explained it to you. That's what I got. Like, that's what, that's it. <laughs> um, quantum computing is computing at a lower than molecular level, right? So we use little tiny bits of silica, uh, which go in a magnetized binary format, left and right, off and on, uh, as a means to compute these days. And it's it's micro, but we're talking sub-nano, right? And so then you start getting to Schrodinger's cat and like uh, beyond relativity and physics and the, um, how do they, how did Jeffrey West explain this? it actually becomes quadratic in nature. So it's exponents of exponents in terms of time gained. So uh, there's a really interesting spy novel called The Quantum Spy, I just finished, by David Ignatius. And the way he talks about it is um, what would take a, what was it, deep blue type computer um, a couple of months to crack would take a quantum computer potentially two to three minutes just because its ability to operate at that level. Bananas. Crazy. Not bananas. Computers. Computers. Quantum ones. Right. Quantum, <laughs> but 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 yeah. And that's one that so that like the the promise of it is so substantial. I mean, that's a truly beyond IoT, beyond internet thing. But that's a that that compiles so many different disciplines of understanding. 
that it's oh my God. no wonder it's, it's completely impossible to understand. Not completely. Some people understand it, but, but at that point, so like I was at this, uh, it was a birthday party. It was a retreat out in the country and all this stuff. And I have some pretty smart friends that are exponentially smarter than I am. And uh, Rice University and NASA were there. Okay. And they were there. And so we run into them and it's my birthday party. So I was, I was doing great. And we run into this guy and I'll tell you guys his name later because it's fucking hilarious. And my buddy who is a high level engineer, um, it's like, what are you, what are you guys working on? And the guy goes, uh, uh, space elevators, carbon nano, carbon nanotubes, carbon nanotubes. And my buddy's like, I thought you guys killed that. And he's like, Oh, we think we figured it out. And he's like, Well, like how? <laughs> starts talking, starts talking, starts talking. And then I'm like, All right, let's get out of here, man. We go, we go back. I was like, How's that conversation? And he goes, You know, I hung in there for about four or five minutes, <laughs> and then after that, he could be completely full of shit and it doesn't matter yep that's, that's exactly right kind of, i wouldn't know if you're lying to me anyway yeah so. getting back to quantum computing <laughs> take the smartest person you can find not the smartest person you know the smartest person you can find run over to ut down the street go find the head of the applied sciences division and hand him a quantum computing white paper and have him <laughs> legit like pay him to be honest every time he understands what the fuck like you're like he's like no it's just it's out there um well Seeing as how we're talking about watching somebody understand something, this next one is about when no one's watching. So lesson number seven, lots of technologies make progress when no one is looking. And I actually love this one, especially from the term, from, from speech generation. Mm-hmm. This is sort of the, um, it, it's almost like the rope-a-dope of technology, yep. right? You are focused over here and you don't act. This just goes to show how much people don't fucking understand the future. When you're focused over here, a, bri- a byproduct will come out and you mm-hmm. didn't even know it. Right, that's how woefully inept you are at doing that. And speech generation was one of them for me. I, I thought it was, I thought, I thought it was that great. was a great one. One that I'm I've got my eye on that I think is actually, and and that's a really interesting way to put it because I think about what makes it that way. Why what, does what way? one technology get so much attention mm-hmm. and another one not? Right? Why does one technology get so much excitement and another one? even though technically speaking, maybe just as promising, commercially speaking, maybe just, just as promising, doesn't get necessarily the same amount of love. And I, and I, I think it just has to do with like excitability, right? Speech, you know, speech recognition, right? They're like, well, what do you, there was, in fact, do you remember, there's okay. Dragon, Dragon Software was for the longest time um, the one and only basically. And uh, they had this great commercial and it was this old man who was using it to dictate like angry letters to the editor. <laughs> like he could yep. just go on and on and the computer would just listen to him and he could send it off, you know, but that's, there wasn't like, people weren't like, ah, oh, you know, it'd be great. But the, the reality is that's like the gold mine when you can find something like that, which, you know, look at Siri, look at uh, Google assistant, look at Alexa and that they're like, we need that. We need to use that. That'll kick ass if we can tie it into something else. Yeah. Oh, for me though, sensors. Sensors is the one that's going to go under the radar, especially because of IoT for the next five to 10 years. And then we're going to find out they can do some really badass shit. Biometric sensors, industrial sensors, everything. That's going to be the one where people's like, who knew? So speaking of real quick, just um, for sure rate this podcast and subscribe and tell your friends. But before we get past the when no one is looking, I'm listening to this great podcast called Business Wars. Have you checked this out? Oh, that's someone with David Brown. That's He's great. From, I met him. From our, no, it's, it's, yeah. it's from, yeah, it's from Wondery. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He, no, but David Brown, who used to do Marketplace, and he does the Texas that's, Standard, 
does Business Wars. Have you listened to it? I, I only listened to the... I haven't gotten the first episode. I had the preview. It's amazing. So right now we're, we're deep inside of the, uh, the drama of streaming entertainment um, as Netflix rises through mm-hmm. the ranks, right? And it's, yep. it's this high drama, high stakes, better than any book sort of deal uh, of a retrospective of what happened to Blockbuster. Then what I was working on that when it happened. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's... It's a lot of fun, man. Um, so when no one's looking, that's when a lot of cool shit happens. Yeah. Right. So if I if you guys were to ask us what what the future is like and and where you should be concentrating, I would often say look where nobody else is looking because mm-hmm. that's kind of where the answer is, right? Um, then rounding this out, lesson number eight: many major technologies flew under hype cycle radar. This is kind of like a no shit like. I know, like you can't map everything. Mm-hmm. Did you have a main takeaway from this lesson? Actually, I'd like to say I have some really cool one in my, uh, excuse me, cool example in my back pocket. Um, but they really got me with Hadoop, yeah. right? And actually, I had yeah. to go study that when I first started looking into data science because I was like, Hadoop, Hadoop, Hadoop. But in reality, I think it was also like if it, 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 there's boring and then there's abstraction, right? Because you're like, because if you don't understand the larger ecosystem, if you don't necessarily have your head wrapped around big data, then you're certainly not going to understand data lakes. You're not no. going to understand a distinction between a data lake and a data warehouse. And you're certainly not going to understand the need for a system like Hadoop, right? And so you're like, well, you know, it sounds really cool because it's called Hadoop. But the, the truth is, is like you have no appreciation for the need for an application like that in data science. Yep, agreed. All in all, man, this article was great. It was really well articulated of the frustrations that we have when we get asked very strange questions. Again, I still hold true that I believe that the at least for now, that the answer is not about predicting the future. It's about building a system that allows you to predict the future. Because I really hope Michael Mullaney hears this podcast. I, I do too, man. Like, well, people also fanboy. people often think about like cadence and speed and stuff like that. And people often talk about fast and slow. And my answer is, is not about fast and slow. It's about sustained, whatever it is, right? Yes. Because to turn on an engine and to turn off an engine is way more inefficient and way more difficult to do. Mm-hmm. So the reality is, is a, is a slow going ever on system is way more powerful than an on off fast system. Mm-hmm. And I'll defend that in the court of law, but and I don't think you have to. to. All right, cool, I'll man. write an amicus brief on your behalf. <laughs> uh, before we get out of here, this is the uh, week of, where are we? February, second Second third week, week of February. It's February 15th. We just got our paychecks today. February 15th. So <laughs> what's the coolest thing you've seen this week? Or since you've been on? I'll, I'll open it wide. Yeah, no, no, no. It's good. Film. It's good. Um, you know, this is typically it's like, hey, I was looking at Ars Technica and I saw this thing. But I found on Amazon a copy of a really abstract book and it has a story behind it. Okay. A story behind the story? Yeah. Story behind the story. Um, so uh, Walt Disney you know, uh, was famous for Disney World and Epcot, which I found out actually is stands for Experimental Prototype City of Tomorrow. Yes, it's, when it's, you told me that, I, I think I clapped. And he was inspired by um, a very famous at the time architect who's actually the father of the modern shopping mall named Victor Gruen. And he wrote this book called The Hearts of Our Cities, or The Heart of Our Cities, The Urban Crisis, Diagnosis, and Cure. And it was all about uh, the whole idea of human interaction and what drives design. Mm-hmm. And that was a book that Walt Disney actually kept on his desk that he used to thumb through and thinking about how to design the city of tomorrow. And I found a copy of that very same book, not the book that Walt Disney had, which would be much more expensive. <laughs> but it's on Amazon and it's going to be here on Saturday. And I don't know if that's the coolest thing in the news, but that was the coolest thing that happened in my life. I can't wait to read so that. So what was the theory around um, 
draw a corollary between um, the things, the the cure for the urban ill or whatever, and then and then shopping malls. Was it about like micro town centers and that? Yeah. So Victor Gruen actually was um, an Austrian refugee. Um, He actually he hightailed it out of Europe at a very early age. As a lot of intellectuals did, and um, Operation Paperclip. <laughs> so as he, as he, as, <laughs> and when he got here, like the, the time he got here in the the late '30s, you know, pre-war United States, so different than it is right now, right? We didn't have highways, right? And life was basically mission and work based. And as a result, um, by the way, if you hear something in the background, there's some construction going on. But um, he, his design was largely uh, encompassed in what was called the Gruen effect. And if you look on YouTube or if you look on Wikipedia, um, he actually created shopping by wonder. Like the spaces that he created were so overwhelmingly um, new and sort of uh, engaging yeah. that they kind of punched you in the face and they gave you this sense of wonder and discovery. Um, and he had the same uh, uh, aspiration for cities, but it was uh, based on the original town square theory in Austria, yep. which combined socialization, commerce, and um, life, right? Like you don't go shopping, which is... U.S. like some American commercialization, right? You go shopping, but you also go to see your friends, and on top of it, you go to do business. That's right, right? And it was this this really productive, very healthy way of living that actually gave birth to a whole design thing. And so, Victor Gruen's uh, some of uh, the names that you see that that came out. One of them is I am Pay, was one of his acolytes. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, he yeah. gave birth to a whole cadre that's of rad. geniuses. That's rad. That's that's a good one. I don't know if I can beat it, but I'm gonna try. Um, not with a personal anecdote this time, but something from the world of headlines. So if you guys are familiar with Black Mirror, again, if you, li- if you listen to this, uh, you've got to be at least aware of it. There's this episode, this dystopian episode, um, where these uh, robotic dogs hunt down and kill people. Um, and if you haven't seen the uh, fan theory about how all of those universes are connected in Black Mirror, you should, because it's oh, really cool. It's great. Really, really cool. But this one is, I believe, episode four or five. I don't know. I'll put it in the show notes. But it's black and white. And essentially, these robotic animals um, terrorize our heroine and her counterpart. Um, and then this week, Boston Dynamics essentially unveiled the exact fucking robot. you see that claw that opened the black door? Mirror. What was so weird was the stability of it. Mm-hmm. And this just goes to show, like, when innovations in technology... Remember... Remember when the robots would fall over and the masses would, oh, look at this dumb robot. robot. And I'm like, it just, it can do things you can't. It just couldn't do that one task. Give it time. It'll learn faster than you. Like your job. And that video was a scene out of Black Mirror, like where one talks to the other and says, hey, I need help. I don't have a claw. Come over here. Use your claw to open this door. So we can go kill humans, <laughs> right? <laughs> oh, jeez. And, and and what's? I thought she was gonna get away too. You know, you're just like, oh, she's gonna get away, and it's like, <laughs> no. But that's that's the Boston Dynamics video that they released, and I just, uh, you know, they they're leaning into that too. Yeah, it was the coolest thing I saw this week. That though, was man. pretty fucking cool. You're um, right, and terrifying, which. Most cool things are terrifying. So it was polite though. It was opening the door for another robot. But you know what? In true 2018 fashion, the one that got the door open for it probably wouldn't say thank you. Yeah, probably. (laughs) (laughs) All right, man. Uh, Episode 18, Cocktails and Questions. Mr. James Lanyon, myself, Brandon Gretler. And of course, always is our beautiful sound engineer, Austin, um, doing the damn thing so you guys can get uh, somewhat goodness in your ears. Thank you for your time. Thank you for listening. Subscribe. Tell your friends. Do the whole bit, man. We owe you. We love you. Talk to you next time. Peace.